politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, Bo and Adam. Travis. I was reading about something sort of scary the other day. It uh, involves more of a gray area with uh, malware apps. Gray, you say? Have you guys ever heard of stalkerware? Yeah. Yes. It's what I wear when I'm hunting people. <laughs> no, it's it, it's a type of app that uh, you can use to track people without their necessarily knowing. Oh, I know this one. This is the one that like shows up in your phone as like a calculator, but it's actually recording everything you do. Or re- yeah, reading your texts, what have you. Reading your texts, yeah, right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, usually you you put apps into two categories: malware, not malware, and then there's that gray zone. And this right. one seems to be in a gray zone where it was originally all about good intentions, keeping tabs on your kids to make sure they're not getting in trouble, making sure if you have a relative that is suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's that you would be able to know where they were and be able to get help to them as fast as possible. Mm. But then this came along, and this is much more nefarious when used the wrong way by people with bad intentions, right? Yeah. If you're dealing with an abusive spouse or an ex-lover who really wants to know where you are, what you're up to, what you're doing, what's going on, uh, this can be pretty, pretty terrifying. Well, and also it could also be, uh, it could be categorized as what the government's now calling killerware, which is that it can really end badly for somebody who is be the on the on the victim side of of a stalkerware. Uh, um, exploit right or even if you're trying to meet with a divorce attorney or set up your own bank account or what have you it's uh, it can be terribly invasive well the good news is we do have an article on adamlevin.com about stalkerware and how to protect yourself against it but yeah it's something to be worried about and something to be careful about welcome to what the hack a show about hackers scammers and the people they go after i'm adam levin defender of the defenseless author of Swiped, founder of CyberScout, Cybertarian. I'm Bo Friedlander, and my social security number is And I'm Travis Taylor, resident tech guy and more Cybertarian than Tarian, I suppose. Today on the show, we're continuing our conversation with Axton Betts-Hamilton. So if you haven't heard part one, start there. Axton Betts-Hamilton was 19 when she first requested a copy of her credit report. She expected a high score, but got exactly the opposite. My credit report was 10 pages long, 
full of fraudulent credit card entries and associated collection agency entries. She learned her identity had been stolen years earlier when she was just 11. Axton grew up dealing with the aftermath of her parents' repeated identity theft and her own struggles, as well as being one of the first known cases of a child having their identity stolen. You know, if I would walk through a store with mom, I would look at people and think, oh, is it you? Are you the thief? Are you the thief? Are you the thief? And that was what was going through my head. That really messes with your sense of trust. That's still something that I off and on struggle with today. After struggling through college to rebuild her credit, Axton finally found the person responsible for her and her family trauma. But the biggest shock was who stole it, her own mother. And not only did she steal my identity, she stole my father's identity as well as my grandfather's identity. She ruined her own credit and then moved on to ours. Axton discovered it after her mother had died. All right. Let's do it. Okay. All right. And now we begin. My mom had been diagnosed with leukemia on the very same day that I officially finished my doctoral program. And she passed away from leukemia six months later. I'm and two weeks after that, my dad called me and he was livid. So this is February 25th of 2013. This data is burned into my brain. And he and he called me up and he's just yelling at me for running a credit card over the limit in 2001. And I said, what credit card is it? And he told me, and I said, Dad, that was one of the credit cards that was taken out of my name as part of the identity theft. And he said, well, it's in a file box of your mother's and it's in here in the file folder with your birth certificate. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, and so my blood ran cold because I had my birth certificate, you know, the, the, the original that was handwritten and I knew where it was. It was in my house. What birth certificate was this? And come to find out, it was a certified copy that was issued from the county health department on June 7th of 2000. So it wasn't the original. So that was the credit card and the birth certificate together. I knew then that she was the one and that her identity had never been stolen. So my dad's the kind of guy that when he starts going through a room and he decides he wants to throw stuff away, it's all going away. And so I said, Dad, stop throwing things away until I get there. And I said, anything that looks financial that you don't know anything about, just put it on the workbench. And this was an outbuilding on our property. I said, I'll come home and I'll take a look at it over spring break, which would have been in another two weeks. By that point, there was a mountain of papers on this workbench that Dad had found in this outbuilding where Mom had... Like, basically just like rat hold things and old backpacks and literally in between the pages of old books, you know, you have to open the book and then receipts and different things would fall out. Um, she did not pay their income taxes for the majority of the preceding 13 years. Whoa. Um, both, both, um, federal and state hadn't been paying the property taxes. She actually paid the property taxes in January of 2013, right before the sheriff was going to uh, put the property up for sale, and Dad and I didn't know that. Um, so there was evidence that she had done that multiple times where she had been delinquent on the property taxes. She was applying for credit cards in Dad's name, my name, 
Um, but more recently, uh, his name and my grandfather's name. Wow. Um, there are some indications of employment fraud, too. Oh, How wow. many credit have... cards were there that she was applying for that, that you could see? Oh, dozens. And most of them were store credit cards, oh, like yeah. clothing yeah. store credit cards, because they're easier to get. Um, and their interest rates are significantly higher. So, yeah. Right. But she wasn't paying them, so she didn't care. Right. Um, and I told dad, you know, all those clothes that we went through after she died and gave to charity, she didn't pay for those. We found evidence from uh, these, the credit cards that she did get from these different clothing stores. She wasn't paying for them. So she was living a, like a parallel weird criminal life among you. Right. And um, so I, I totally became an amateur, like cold case investigator with this. And Wait, there's more to the story after this. Oh, there's so much more to this story. So I got into her Facebook account and she was using her maiden name on her Facebook account, which a lot of women do that. You know, that wasn't really a red flag to me prior to her passing away. But I found over 4,000 uh, private messages that she had written to high school friends of hers and others. And in going through them, there are these really vivid stories of things that are just wrong. Like that my dad had cheated on her and had left her and gotten remarried. And then also my dad had died and that she was engaged to this other guy. And, huh. um, she didn't have an engagement ring. She did. That she apparently bought herself because we found the receipt. It's actually the ring that I found in her, her jewelry box because I couldn't find her wedding ring. That's the, the ring set that I found in her jewelry box that I used in my own wedding that was in her hospital room right before she passed away. So I wore that ring as my like substitute wedding ring that was her fake nasty engagement ring for an engagement that didn't even exist well so the, so there was no um she didn't have like another life with another family anywhere that she was also doing identity theft with she just was telling stories to people yes there's some there's some veins of truth in the stories that i've been able to, to verify um a lot of it i haven't been able to to verify and then that was when and this is how you found out that there was over a half a million dollars in debt all told So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing and I need to make split second financial decisions. And that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks and I trade options and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination 
That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means... You get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance an electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com We're going to need to we're going to need to talk to you uh, Axton about what people can do now young people and and not young people alike to protect themselves from this and it it is we know we talk about it all the time that these kind of crimes are often perpetrated by the people closest to us because they have the opportunity more so than somebody who's trying to guess at your information or steal it um axton is absolutely considered a national expert on this uh, she's dedicated a significant portion of her life to learning what the threats are and, and how to defend against them. She lived through the threats and did the defense. What can a person, what's the very first thing you'll tell? I have two children. One mm-hmm. is 17 and one is 19. When they were 15 and 17 or something, I got them both credit cards in my name that I could monitor my credit card with their names on the credit cards so I could monitor it and get them used to using it. It was just one idea. I don't even know if it's a good idea. You teach this stuff. What do you recommend for parents and for young people? Sure. So above all else, communication and financial awareness is key. So one of the things that gets people into trouble is that they don't want to talk about finances. They're not comfortable talking about finances. And that was true in my own family to some extent. And that, I I think, enabled my mom to do some of the things that she did. So understanding credit, understanding identity theft, uh, for young adults who are just turning 18, one of the first things they should do is get their credit report. Look at what's on it. Start disputing things that are there that are incorrect, if that's the case. I have students in my uh, Intro to Financial Literacy course pull their credit report for a class assignment. And one of the things that they'll often tell me, they'll come to me and say, well, annual credit report shows that there was no information. What do I do? That's good. That, That means there's no credit in your name that shouldn't be there. No one was using your identity from age zero to 17. That's good. That's, but that knowledge is power. Axon, in your experience, you've, have you found that, that people tend to 
get a credit report, look at it. Their eyes glaze over, although credit reports are getting much better now. And it's it's almost like I did it, but then they don't do anything about it. They don't they don't look in particular, look for things that they didn't do. Right. Um so that is something that I've to some degree encountered as a challenge. And just sitting down, it's important to sit down and look at every item. So any negative account information, any positive account information, because just because there's a, an account that's being reported positively doesn't necessarily mean it's your account. Somebody else could have opened a credit card in your name and be making payments on that. Um, also check and see under the inquiries, if there are any inquiries on there that you didn't make. Look under the aliases to see if there are any names that are reported using your social security number that aren't your names. So that was something that was true on my credit report as well. Those are all indications that there's potential identity theft. So look at every item. Just because there's not something screaming at you from the top of the credit report that says, this is a negative account, there's, there are more potential indicators and you have to dig a little more deeply um, with the credit reports. One, one thing I'm wondering about is the uh, sort of emotional element involved here. Do you have any advice for people, um, especially uh, young people who find out that their uh, credit's been stolen or their identity has been stolen? Um, any kind of resources just to help them kind of grasp with the real betrayal that happens there? Right. Um, so we, the in the research world, we have been slow to acknowledge um, the emotional as well as the physical consequences. I have a paper coming out soon uh, about that. Um, but one thing that I think is critical, and I have a book that I'm looking at right now, is to recognize that oftentimes in these cases, particularly when a family member is the offender, there's an, there's trauma here. Mm-hmm. And my research demonstrates that in cases where a family member is the offender, this is a tool in an abuser's toolbox. Mm-hmm. There's other abuse going on. And depending on that type of abuse, there may be additional forms of recourse for that victim, um, but they have to be ready. And, um, you know, they can be referred to different referral sources, such as for medical care and uh, mental health services and different support groups. In fact, there are some identity theft victim support groups out there in, in larger cities that I've noticed over the years. Um, but I think folks need to recognize that, yeah, they've been traumatized. And and unfortunately, you know, in greater society, most identity theft victims are not seen as experiencing something traumatic, but it now, can be a traumatic experience. The isolation that you experienced, do you find that in the cases that you've studied that that is common? Yeah. So in the cases I've studied, it's actually been kind of humbling for me because my case is not the worst. That's far from the worst. What is the worst that you've seen? Um, The worst I've seen is um, one case, their father was the offender, and the father had also sold the child into human trafficking. Uh There was physical abuse, there was emotional abuse, there was sexual abuse within the family and the identity theft, and the father sold the child into human trafficking. And she's doing well, you know. I, I think it's important to recognize that, that victims 
can have resilience, you know, resilience in, in the face of identity theft, of course, is a positive thing. And there are more stories like mine that are being presented in the media and, and uh, in different books. And this particular victim, she, you know, she, with her situation, she got away from the human trafficking. She was living in a woods for a while um, while in high school. So she was still going to school, finding ways to uh, get her basic needs met, albeit uh, you know, not the best situation. And she now has a master's degree. Um, she, after reading my book, she's working on a book about her experience. So um, there are some great stories of, of triumph that, that emerge from these traumatic situations. But again, we need to acknowledge that uh, identity theft victimization, particularly when a family member is the offender, can be a traumatic experience. And it's not necessarily the only form of abuse that's going on within the family. When this goes on in a family, oftentimes the police will tell you, as you know, oftentimes people don't talk about it. Right. And I had a situation, a friend of mine, his father uh, opened credit card accounts in his name while he was helping my friend opened credit cards because he was going off to college and he found mm -hmm. out his dad had run up $30,000 worth of credit bills, uh, credit card bills. And he went to him and he said, dad, what's going on? I said, well, I, I needed to. He said, well, you got to help me here because I owe $30,000 to credit card companies. His father said, I can't, I don't have the money to do it. And then he said, well, the only other way that I can help myself is I've got to report this. And his dad looked at him and smiled and said, what are you going to do? I'm your father. Mm -hmm. Because you have so many people within family units that refuse to rat out their parents, their kids, their siblings. Absolutely. And that's something that I've found to be true just in recruiting participants for my studies. I have lots of victims that reach out to me regarding my book and my story. And we'll talk and I'll say, you know, hey, I'm recruiting identity theft victims for this study or that study. You know, would you like to participate? They don't want to talk about it. Um, and that's in part because they're afraid that by participating in the research and sharing their story, it's going to create additional conflict in the family above and beyond what's already there as a result of the identity theft. No, I had an aunt who, who basically, uh, basically, bottom line, she took bankruptcy as opposed to reporting her son when half the family knew that he had stolen her identity and was opening accounts and it's tragic when that that happens and it goes both ways yeah. so it's it's important for people to know about this indeed it is how much uh, have you seen any new trends uh within identity theft especially within families like with uh how they use technology for instance not really and i i should couch that in in that my studies usually have very small sample sizes. So sure. I interview victims and really what I've noticed with the offenders is that it's old school. Mm -hmm. They have the social security number, they have mm -hmm. the date of birth, they have the mother's maiden name and that's all they need to do what they need, to, what they want to do with, with the identity. Right. So it's still all very uh, analog, I guess. <laughs> well, I have a question. So is there a, 
profile. It seems to me that um, there must be some kind of psychological profile of a family member who would steal the identity of another family member. And whether it's just, you know, like Adam's friend who's, whose dad said, you know, what are you going to turn me in? Which to me seems like something a sociopath would say. Um, I mean, so I guess I'm asking, are, you know, I hate to ask this, but was your mom a sociopath? I think potentially she was. Now, huh. again, I, I'm not a licensed clinician, but no, right. But, careful, I mean, but yeah, I, I started reading about psychopathy and sociopathy and really antisocial personality disorder, um, which is what psychopathy and sociology or sociopathy are under now in the DSM-5. And my mom had a lot of traits consistent with those diagnostic criteria. Something that I'm noticing in my research, and I do study financial abuse in older adults when a family member is the offender, as well as familial identity theft. And what I'm seeing with regard to offenders is that it's often reported by their victims or concerned family members that, oh, you know, the offender never felt guilty for anything, or um, they were involved in other criminal activities, or they were very concerned about their image within the community. Um, so there are some consistent traits there. Um, the lack of guilt is one that's very consistent with antisocial personality disorder. Um, now, again, my studies have small sample sizes. My personal story um, could, would be considered a- anecdotal, but there does seem to be some commonalities and some patterns emerging with regard to offender behaviors. So have you come to peace with your mom after all this, uh, or it's still it's something that kind of knots you up? So the researcher slash amateur cold case investigator would still like to know where all the money went and what it was spent on. I think there are people out there who know that just haven't come forward. Or there are people out there that may know things, but they don't realize they know what they know kind of thing. Because to my mom's high school class, when I went to her 40th class reunion after she passed away. Her classmates told me that it was impossible I was her child because she didn't have any children. So, you know, people may know things and not make the connection because there are people out there that think she didn't have children and wouldn't connect the names because she was using her maiden name and I have my dad's name and my husband's name hyphenating. Um, So I'd like to know where the money is. There is a sense of, I don't know if it's peace or not, but a sense of accomplishment or triumph and that I wrote the book. So one of the things that I had hoped to accomplish along the way with my career and trying to identify the offender was that I wanted to identify the offender in my case and hold them accountable. And prior to knowing that it was mom and her passing away, I had hoped that that wouldn't look something like holding them accountable through the criminal justice system and right. you know, seeing, seeing them get the appropriate punishment in court and all those things. That was never going to happen, you know, just the way things played out. So there's a part of writing the book that in a way I think is my way of holding mom accountable for what she did. You know, her misdeeds didn't end with her death. And by sharing my story, it 
it it helps other victims know that they're not alone. So it doesn't it doesn't necessarily tell them how to recover or how to protect themselves, but it tells them that hey, someone else went through this too. And I've had people reach out to me and say, thank you for writing the book. I didn't realize that there were other people who experienced what I did. So you have your mom's ashes in an urn on a shelf in in your living space. And it sits directly across from the book. So there's some maybe justice in that. That seems to be the sentence. And you didn't, and you didn't spread them into a live volcano. So obviously <laughs> that means that you have come to some peace with this. Well, w- when mom was passing away, one of her last wishes was to be cremated and then come with me to Illinois. And she didn't want to go with that. And we didn't understand that at the time, but we wanted to honor that because you know you want to honor the last wishes of your loved one. And Dad and I have talked about this. We think she knew what was coming. And, you know, my dad, my dad's a farmer. And I think mom on some level probably thought, well, if, you know, my ashes go with John, they're going to end up in the manure spreader. Because, and he, he probably would have done that, you know, because he was on the verge of losing the house because of the tax issues. And just the other things that were, were coming at him, rapid fire. And I think she knew that I wouldn't do that. Now, how she knew that, I don't know. But I still haven't spread them anywhere. Like, I haven't, I, I look out a window and there's a pond there. I can dump them in the pond. I haven't done it. She, so somehow she knew that I wouldn't do that. I don't know how she knew that. Were you and your mom close when you were growing up? Oh, yeah. We talked every day. Wow. I mean, I'm fascinated by this weird dichotomy in your mom that she was a mom and she loved you and she uh, had a relationship with you that was meaningful and deep and also was your identity thief. Yeah, it, I, I was gaslit, I think, my entire life. Yeah. So I'm very hypersensitive to that kind of behavior now. I bet. <laughs> I'll call that out now. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I do remember one of my uh, uh, favorite quotes when we talked about it for the book Bowen, you and I, was mm-hmm. when you said, I ate Thanksgiving dinner for 19 years across the table from my identity thief. And yeah. it's like, who knew? Who knew? Right. But you've, you were incredibly brave through the entire experience. You've accomplished an enormous amount. You've actually used this to fuel you mm-hmm. and your career. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is an example of, of taking uh, a tragedy uh, on a, a terribly unfortunate circumstance and, and using it as a catalyst and using it as inspiration that it's not only never going to happen to you again, but anything you can do to make sure that it doesn't happen to other people, uh, you're going to do. And I just think that's so commendable. And we're so excited that to have had you or have you on the show. And we, uh, we certainly want you to come back. And, uh, again, we always say this is a no shame zone, but uh, we also hope this is an empowerment zone for people. And uh, you've certainly uh, helped us help other people. So thank you so much. Um, if you want to know more about Axton and in particular what she went through and how she handled it 
and thoughts about what people can do in order to protect themselves. The book is called The Less People Know About Us. And it won a 2020 Edgar Award for Best Fact Crime. It's a really good read. To which we respond, dude. <laughs> and actually, this is available like on Amazon and, and normal booksellers online and otherwise that people would go to? Yes. Yeah, so anywhere that... Uh, you buy books, you can get my book, and it's available, of course, in uh, hardback as well as ebook and an uh, audiobook as well. Thank you, Axton, so much. Yeah, well, thank, thank you. you for having me. This was fun. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rope's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Adam? Bo? How long? We've worked together for 10 years now, right? <sighs> An eternity. Travis, you and I have worked together for an ungodly amount of time. How long? 20? Uh, yeah, I think uh, 24 years. At okay, this point. 24 years. And I'm only 30, so that's saying something. And Travis was 10 when he started. Wait, so. I just say, I'm in a position to hack and st steal your identities like crazy. I could do it right now. You guys are in a position to steal my identity right now. And the one thing that Axton's story really illustrates for me more than anything else is the way that, gosh, I mean, it just really cuts to the quick in terms of trust issues. And the fact that she's bounced back and is so resilient is, I think, amazing. I, I, I loved her story. No, it's really, it's an incredible story. In, in one sense, it's heartwarming the way she's triumphed. But in another way, it's just a terrible, terrible tragedy. I mean, her mom's ashes are like on the bookshelf with the book about the identity theft. That. I think it's time to put those ashes in a volcano, perhaps. But that's just my <laughs> I opinion. Think that's why she got them and not the dad. 
Anyway, I think it's uh, just really inspiring. I think a lot of people who go through that experience could just walk out of it uh, feeling embittered and probably rightly so. Um, but to just do what she's done with it, both in terms of her own uh, personal life, but also um, her career, I think is uh, just a pretty incredible. And as you put it before, uh, just very resilient. Yeah, no, it's pretty amazing. It's story. about empowerment. I mean, this negative situation empowered her to do great things in her life. So Adam, what's, what do you, let's just get this out there in a simple, easy to do way. What do you do if you've been the victim of identity theft? Well, you need to get a police report. You need to check your credit report to see if there's anything on there that uh, is, looks very strange to you. You need to keep logs and files to make sure that when you're asked, did you do this? You're able to show that you didn't do it and where you were yeah. and why. Yep. And the most important thing is you have to really make yourself harder as a target. You have to take a lot of the precautions that we've talked about over the past several weeks. Yeah, it can be a really overwhelming and stressful experience. I think the uh, statistic I've read is that it takes uh, someone on average about 40 hours uh, to go through the whole process of um, filing and uh, kind of doing all the necessary paperwork there. Yeah, and it involves information and stuff from your life that is like, you don't really want to share with other people and stuff you don't necessarily want to look at. And so it's, it really does add lots of layers of stress in the process, which is why it it's great if you do have um, a service through your HR department or your insurance uh, company that can, that can help you uh, get some resolution. But it's, it's very important to keep in mind that a significant percentage of identity theft is never reported because right. it occurs within what they call the familial unit, whether it's family, friends. Yeah, well, I had a cousin do that to me and it never got reported. <laughs> I mean, it, it's true. A lot of it doesn't. You just deal with it in the family and it's done. Thanks everybody for listening this week. And you know, please make my day. Adam, don't beg. Go ahead, beg. Please. Oh, he wants you to he, he wants you to rate the show on Apple Podcasts. And you know, it does help people find the show. And also, Adam. You like reading the reviews, don't you? I love reviews. I love it, quoting Stanley Tucci. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's not Stanley Tucci, though. That's What's that character's name? His name's Caesar. Oh, Caesar. Caesar. Um, oh, God. Let me, wait. Let me. Rate Adam's ability to remember characters from The Hunger Games, but just get in there and rate the show. It does help people find it, and it helps, helps us get more people involved. We're always looking for victims. If something's happened to you and you want to talk to us about it, get in touch with us through... Uh, Travis, what is the email? Stories at whatthehackpod.com It's Caesar Flickerman. <laughs> What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. It's produced by Andrew Stephen, the man with two first names. You can find us online at loudtreemedia.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin. <laughs>